This is an ABC podcast. If we want to have a hope in hell of reaching zero emissions anytime soon, we're going to start seeing way more solar and wind farms popping up around the place, which is great, unless maybe you live nearby. Say on King Island, where a wind farm proposal divided a community. The company behind the proposal did all the right things. They were democratic, transparent, they engaged the community right from the start, but even that best practice approach wasn't enough. Social scientist Dr Rebecca Colvin spent some time on King Island to see if we can learn from their experience and find better ways of making change happen, because we're going to need them. Picture King Island, Tasmania. Rolling green hills, happy and well-fed cattle, friendly people and creamy cheese. I flew into King Island on a sunny day in 2015 and from the air the island was dramatically framed by its enormous moat. It had the Bass Strait to the east and the Southern Ocean to the west. The strait and the ocean dwarfed the island, which is comparatively less than half the size of the Australian Capital Territory. As the plane neared the island, I could see the Cape Wickham Lighthouse, Australia's tallest, standing defiantly in the northern tip of the island. The land was a patchwork of all shades of green, from the pastures to the remnant rainforest, punctuated by a handful of roads and buildings. The clusters of homes dotted around the island's coast hinted at a people who were united in their relative isolation from Tasmania, Australia and the rest of the world. I felt like I had a privileged view into this place where I'd be living and researching for the weeks ahead. I was on my way to King Island to learn about what it was like to live in a community experiencing conflict about whether a wind farm should be developed. In late 2012, a large-scale wind energy project was proposed for King Island. That proposal outlined 200 turbines, which were 150 metres tall and would have taken around 20% of the island's land area. The turbines were to generate 600 megawatts of renewable energy for export to mainland Australia, and they promised benefits for the local economy. I'd followed the proposal in the media, interested in what I felt was an unexpected coincidence of a development company evidently acting quite properly with respect to their responsibilities to the local community, and a community which appeared divided along lines of support and opposition. As a social scientist, this is my research interest. I want to understand more about how people come together or break apart when facing decisions about environmental challenges such as the development of energy facilities. I believe that if we can understand more about how we navigate through complex environmental decisions, then we are better placed to design decision-making processes which are fair, lead to sustainable outcomes and ideally are not too onerous on the people involved. So I was eager to learn why the community engagement process, which was described as best practice, led to what was presented in the media as a bitter conflict dividing the people of King Island. As I flew into this small community of 1,500 people, I had much on my mind. What would the people be like? Would they accept me and my research or would they want to speak to me at all? I was thinking about the fact that only five months earlier, the proposal had been cancelled by the developers. They decided not to proceed with the wind energy project and this was due to the economic case for the project not stacking up. How would the King Islanders feel about me, an outsider, flying into their island to ask questions about what I could only imagine was a difficult time? 
Fortunately, my early meetings with King Islanders allayed my worries. I cold called and I followed recommendations and made contact with community members who welcomed me and my research. I learned about how the wind energy proposal landed at a time of disruption and strain in the island. Before the proposal was announced, the King Island abattoir had been closed suddenly. This caused job losses and economic strain across the community. The King Islanders told me that after the abattoir closed, rumours started to circulate about a secret project with $2 billion, which may be the answer to their economic woes. But rather than alleviate the stress caused by the abattoir closure, this led to speculation about what the proposal would be. Some of the rumoured ideas included mining, an ASIO spy facility and an immigration detention centre. By the time the wind energy proposal was formally announced, these speculations meant that anxiety was running high, and that was before anyone knew what was coming. Following the formal announcement at a public meeting in the island, some people in the community who were concerned about the impact of the wind energy proposal formed a local opposition group. This opposition group learned from the experiences of other communities who had opposed developments like energy transmission lines or coal seam gas wells. They built up their membership and momentum to undertake activities which put forward the case in opposition to the proposal. Meanwhile, the company who proposed the development had started their own actions, a whole range of initiatives which seemed to measure well against the expectations for best practice community engagement. The company stationed staff in King Island to work on the proposal. They established a community consultative committee. They developed and presented visual and sound demonstrations of expected impacts. And they flew in external experts for discussions with the community. During this time, the proposal was front and centre in King Island. In a small community, on a small island, it was hard to escape the discussion about the wind energy proposal. As tensions rose on the island, the impacts of this conflict started to manifest. Friendships and families were strained and sometimes severed. Business relationships were placed under stress and people experienced abuse in person, on the phone and online. Some people felt such despair at the conflict in the community that they didn't even want to get out of bed in the morning. In King Island, there was a pre-existing divide between the blow-ins, those who were newer to King Island, and the real King Islanders, those with long family histories. These characterizations were used as stereotypes to explain others' attitudes toward the proposal and served to delegitimize others' opinions. Calling someone a blow-in was no longer playful as it was in the past. It was a political statement with complex connotations. As small communities depend so much on cohesion to function, conflict of this nature has the potential to be disastrous for a community like King Island. The conflict reached a peak in mid-2013, around seven months after the proposal was first announced, when a vote was held to decide whether the proposal should proceed. The proposal itself was announced at the pre-feasibility stage. This meant that the company didn't yet have the information needed to know whether the proposal could be developed at all, but elected to engage with the community from this early stage regardless. So, the King Island community was voting on whether the proposal would proceed to the feasibility stage. This meant that if the vote was successful, the company would undertake a full feasibility study to decide whether the project could go ahead at all. Now, holding a vote sounds democratic, but in the King Island experience, the vote served to exacerbate conflict and ossify people's already polarised attitudes. Until the vote, most conflict in the community was viewed as being between the opposition group and the company. 
Ahead of the vote, the opposition group ran an election-style campaign to encourage King Islanders to vote no. This brought the dispute into even sharper focus for the community. The opposition saw this as a necessary means to attempt to address the power imbalance between a large corporate proponent and a small community. But for King Islanders who supported the project, the campaigning was seen to create a new power imbalance between the opposition group and everyone else in the community. Then there was the controversy over what the company considered to be a benchmark for success of the vote. Was it 50.1% for a technical majority or 90% for a strong majority? At a public meeting, someone pushed the company representative to commit to a number. In response, I was told, the company representative remarked, fairly off the cuff, that they wanted about 60% support. The vote was held and the outcome was deeply problematic. Remembering that 60% was the given measure for success, the result came in at 58.7% support. The difference between what they wanted and what they got was only 12 individual votes. To the opposition group, the outcome was cause for celebration. The company had failed their own measure for success. The opposition group viewed the outcome as a categorical failure. But for supporters of the project, 58.7% was viewed as a clear majority, which was close enough to 60%. And based on this reasoning, the company proceeded with the feasibility study, despite technically failing their own test of community support. The feasibility study began fairly quietly. After the outcome of the vote, many people said the presence of the wind energy proposal lessened. For some, life went back to normal. But for others, the spectre of the conflict was large. Over 12 months later, in October 2014, the company announced that the proposal would not proceed. The feasibility study had not been completed, but the economic case was unfavourable. Since then, I was told that tensions have eased in King Island. When I was in the island, people from across the spectrum of support to opposition were kind, thoughtful and open. But it was evident to me that this was a very difficult time for them. Now, some say that the community has returned to how it was before the proposal, while others say there are divides which will last for generations. King Island has spent two years in conflict and there was no material change to the island as a result. In this case, the proposal didn't go ahead. Should it have? I don't know. The proposal was ambitious in scale, but the engagement process did seem to be pretty innovative. Nevertheless, there are important lessons. A vote might seem like a democratic way to make decisions, but it could serve to divide rather than decide. And even more so when those in power don't adhere to its outcome. Obviously, we need renewable energy development, but we also need happy people and harmonious communities. It doesn't have to be a zero-sum game, but it often is. As a wise friend once told me, technology is easy, people are hard. Well, there's a T-shirt slogan for you. No doubt it's the hard part about people that drives Beck Colvin's research into conflict around climate change and environmental issues. She's at ANU's Crawford School of Public Policy, and you can hear Beck speaking more about her work in another Occam's Razor from April this year. Next week, something a little different. Professor David Blair is taking Einstein's physics to the kids. I'm Bernie Hobbs. Catch you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.